Good morning again, everybody. Today is a significant day for us as we do celebrate those new members and new individuals who have joined into the life of First Church. And again, please keep praying for them. And today is also significant because we will be concluding uh, the sermon series that we've been engaged in entitled The Church We Want to Be. And I really hope that this is a series that has been stirring your heart and helping us be excited for the days to come. So as we get ready to dive into God's word today, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today we are concluding this sermon series on the church that we want to be. We have covered a lot in this sermon series. We've covered the essence of our heartbeat and DNA. We, we have explored what it means to join with God's historic holy work in ushering the kingdom of God here and now on this side of heaven and to ponder even for a bit the significant, powerful, and privileged calling that it is for you and I as God's church to be invited into this holy work. We have explored the beauty and the significance of transformation, realizing that anytime anyone encounters the living Lord, their lives are forever changed. The old is gone and the new comes. We have embraced rugged discipleship, we are a people who want to follow God in word and deed, in the model of Jesus Christ. And if that means we roll up our sleeves to dive in, that's what we're going to do. We get gritty in our discipleship. We have celebrated beautiful diversity. God's love is for all people everywhere. We don't all look alike. We don't all come from the same backgrounds. We believe that life is beautiful in line with the scriptures, because we are all the body of Christ, not just the hand, not just the foot, but all of the body of Christ. And we trust that our different giftings complement one another, so as we can offer a countercultural witness to the world. And we seek to live into humble power. We believe that God, in and through Jesus Christ, conquered death over 2,000 years ago, and that Jesus is still in the resurrection business, that revival still happens among us. We believe that when we surrender our will to God, we experience peace even in the midst of trial, victory in the face of death, strength in the midst of difficulty, and the inability to fully explain what's going on because God cannot be fully explained. It's beyond just us. And as if we have explored who we are, we have embraced the biblical model of being a gathered and sent church. We celebrate the opportunity to go deep in worship in our gathered settings and through our organized and comprehensive ministries. And we are absolutely committed to getting on other people's turf, whether that's in homes or at parks or at gyms or at nursing homes or somewhere else. We celebrate going deep and wide. We celebrate going wide and deep. 
I hope that as we have sought to dive into these topics these last number of weeks, to explore our vision, to explore our DNA, that we begin to realize God is doing something special among us. We are seeing the gospel shared and realized in powerful ways and that God continues to move in significant ways. We see this when we gather on Sunday mornings. We see this at first night and transform and first nursery and among our children and our youth and our college students. We see it whether it's working in opportunities such as Code Blue or just meeting people where they are. We are so excited in this month of February. We've had something that we haven't had before, and that is every single weekend in the month of February, we either have people being baptized or joining fully into the life of the church. Over this time, we've had 10 baptisms. We've had 10 adults taking a step of confirmation in their life and their journey of faith. And we've had 14 students who have stepped up and said, I am ready. I want to join Christ in the life of the church. This is exciting, wonderful, holy stuff, and I hope you're excited. And I invite you to keep praying on all of that, that the holy momentum that God is stirring will only continue. This is the church that God is allowing us to be a part of, and I personally find it amazing and humbling and exciting, and I hope you do too. May we never, ever take it for granted. Now, this is all good stuff. We want to be crystal clear on who we are. We want to know exactly what our DNA is, who God is creating us to be. But as I indicated a few moments ago, this is the final sermon in this particular series. And we want to be just as clear, not only on who we are today, but what about in the days to come? Where is God leading us into the future? What does that begin to look like? What do we need to keep our eyes focused upon? And to help us answer this question of being God's church into tomorrow, I'm going to invite us today to turn to the Gospel of John. And you know where John is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And we're going to go to the end of John in chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you right now to take them out with me or to pull them up on your phone. And it seems appropriate that as we conclude this sermon series, we're also basically going to the end of the Gospels, the fourth Gospel as it's listed in the New Testament, and then the end of that Gospel of John in chapter 21. And we're going to look, what did Jesus do or share with his disciples as he was going to be transitioning from being physically present with them and sending them into their future? As a new day was arriving for the disciples, what happened? What did Jesus do to help them live into what was about to come? And to do that, I'm going to invite us then again to dive in together. And one of the first things we're going to realize is this. We know that Jesus will keep showing up no matter what. Or let me say it this way. Jesus is going to keep on coming back to us. Even those of us who have failed, Jesus will never, ever give up on any of us. Ever. Let that sink in for just a moment. The disciples at this stage have not earned the right for Jesus to show up to them at the end of the Gospel of John. Remember, at this point, Jesus has recently died on the cross, and now he's been raised from the dead, and surely it was devastating for those disciples of Jesus to see him die on the cross. That was not what they were expecting from their Messiah, but he has risen from the dead. And Mary Magdalene has told them she's already seen him alive. Just one chapter earlier, John chapter 20, Jesus had also appeared to those disciples who were scared and huddled in a room together behind closed doors. 
Jesus had even shown up to doubting Thomas and let Thomas touch the scars and the marks of where Jesus had had the pegs driven into him. And yet, after having seen Jesus, knowing he's alive after death, where are the disciples today in John chapter 21? They're back to doing what they had been doing before Jesus even entered the picture. Three years of traveling with Jesus. Three years of learning and joining Jesus in performing miracles. Three years of teaching. And here now, after all of that, the disciples are back to their old jobs. Which raises the question, has this all been an epic failure on the part of Jesus to start a new movement? Here it seems that Jesus, for all his wonderful efforts, aside from being resurrected, which is no small feat, it sure seems like there's a whole lot of failure going on. These were not movement starters in the disciples. These were not shakers in the disciples. They're back to doing what they had been doing before Jesus even came onto the scene. And this often seems to be the way of the church. It's made up of human beings. Therefore, you can bet either sooner or later, failure is going to come in one form or another in God's church or in this holy movement. I once heard a pastor say, I can assure you, if you have any vision for the church, if you have high expectations for you and your ministry, you better get good at handling failure. I think Jesus could have said this today from our scripture. Failure happens throughout this story. The disciples have trudged back to doing what they were doing, again, before they were even disciples. They're fishing. They're not discipling. They've returned to their pre-Jesus life. And maybe they don't know what to do at this point. They probably thought it was all over after that Friday when Jesus died on the cross. Despite Jesus then showing up to them behind closed and locked doors, the collective response of these Jesus followers is to still say to themselves, all right, this was all a great journey, but let's now go back to fishing. And as a side note here, are we much different than these early disciples? It can be so easy to come and worship enthusiastically on Sundays and then go back to normal life, even pre-Jesus life as it were, on Mondays, as if nothing has changed. And if I were Jesus, I think at this point, my patience would be wearing thin. It's not just in this case that the disciples seem to be failing, not just at least in terms of the discipleship, but their fishing isn't going much better either. Their fishing seems to be failing as much as their discipleship. Uh, we hear this today in John chapter 21, verse three. So they got out and got onto the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They had been fishing all night and caught nothing, and so these empty nets seem to serve as an accurate metaphor for how they felt. The nets were empty. It appears they were tired failures. And nobody embodied this collective failure more than Peter. The one who promised to never, ever forsake Jesus has denied Jesus three times blatantly. That zeal and that commitment of Peter's, it didn't last very long. And in truth, when Peter denied Jesus, Peter was not denying Jesus so much as he was denying he was a disciple of following Jesus. He was denying living for Jesus. 
And so we see in this encounter, at the end of John, lots and lots of failure at multiple levels. And now, even after his denial, even after blatantly disregarding Jesus three times, Jesus still shows up to Peter. He comes to Peter. He proactively seeks Peter out and recalls Peter. Jesus does not give up, even in the face of Peter's failure and denial. And so we hear this very explicitly in John 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon said to John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is incredible. In spite of Peter's past failure, Jesus shows up again, meets Peter where Peter is, and even puts Peter in charge of his flock. Here, Jesus is not so much quizzing Peter so much as to reassure Peter, to see Peter where he is. And Jesus is showing Peter that no matter what, Jesus will always be there, loving him, seeing him, no matter what failure Peter has lived into. I think for Jesus to ask this question three times of Peter, it's not so much about Jesus hearing the answer of Peter. I think it's even more about Peter hearing Peter's answer. Peter needed to remember how much he loved Jesus. So despite the failure of Peter, Jesus' love for him is sure. Jesus' love is unfailing. And that should give us cause for great, great comfort. Jesus loves Peter for Peter, even in his failure. And when that sinks into Peter's heart, it begins Peter on a journey of transformation for all that's to come in Peter's life. Peter, the failure, will become Peter, the leader of God's church. We want to be a church where we expect to see great things in Jesus as Jesus moves among us. And to know that even more when we fail, and we will because we are human, that Jesus will still show up among us, even in our lowest moments. We want to be a church that has the ability to meet others in their hurts and others in their sadness and others in their failures, just like Jesus did with Peter. We want to see and treat everyone the way that Jesus treats us, not because of what they've done and not because of what they earned or not because of what they deserve, but just because they are loved for who they are, just like Jesus did for Peter and just like Jesus does for us. We want to be a church that shows up for others proactively no matter what, because that's what Jesus does. Also, as we look to the future, we expect to be a church where the real presence of Jesus makes a powerful difference. So today we hear in John 21 verses 4 to 6, early in the morning Jesus stood up on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. 
He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This really is the real Jesus calling his disciples from the shore. It is not a ghost. It is not a figment of the disciples' imagination. It really is Jesus engaging them in conversation, having dialogue back and forth. And then as a result of their interaction with Jesus, and specifically following what Jesus has instructed, they experience a miracle. The empty nets are filled, and after a night of no fish caught, suddenly in a few moments, they have more fish than they know what to do with. And so the correlation is pretty strong and obvious. No Jesus, no fish. With Jesus, lots of fish. And we have to be careful here. This is not a matter of a prosperity gospel that if we seek to start following Jesus, suddenly all of life is wonderful, nor is an example of Jesus as a magic genie for his disciples. In fact, we're not even told in the scriptures that the disciples ever asked Jesus to do it. Jesus just asked them if they have any fish, and they answer no. They never say, yo, Jesus, can you do something and help us out here? You know, throw us, in this case, a fish or two. Instead, it is Jesus who sees their plight and responds to their needs as they obey his commands. As we move into the future, we too want to be a church that obeys the commands of Jesus, where we recognize also his real and powerful presence among us, so that those around us may experience the tangible difference of Jesus in their lives. Yet again, we see transformation here. No fish lots of fish, emptiness, fullness. It's powerful. Our world needs the real and powerful presence of Jesus. The world needs to see disciples who listen and obey the commands of the living Lord so that real needs are met. And we want to be that kind of church. We want to be a church where people can experience fullness where they have emptiness. And we want to be a church that sees Jesus for who he is and responds accordingly. I read an article not too long ago from a pastor who's now retiring after 32 years at the same location with the same people. His name is Mike Glenn, and he wrote a letter in which he's telling the pastor after him and who will be following him what he would want to hear if he were a pastor now starting ministry himself. In other words, to the pastor who'd be leading the congregation after him, the one leading the church now into the future, among other things, these were some of Mike's observations. He says, the age of the megachurch is over. We will not be building large church campuses like we used to. Instead, churches will be centered in neighborhoods and communities. They will be central to community life seven days a week. Future facilities will be integrated into the neighborhood by providing everything from ESL classes to daycares for children and senior adults. More and more people will get more connected into the church through weekday engagements rather than Sunday mornings. Which, by the way, sounds an awful lot like our gathered and sent model. And then catch this, he says, the ministry now comes before the message. When people see the church loving the community, they will want to know what motivates that love. We want to be that kind of church moving into the future. We want to make a real and powerful difference in the lives of those that we encounter in our actions and our words. And finally, as we look to the future, we want to be a church that follows in the model of Jesus. 
Remember, discipleship is about more than words. It's more than just belief in our head. Discipleship is following the commands of Jesus in our actions and in our lives. The very last thing that Jesus says to Peter to reinstate him into a right relationship with him is to give this directive, follow me. Yes, Jesus will continue to show up in our failures, and we praise God for that. There's no, nowhere so far we can run that God can't still see us and find us and meet us. And yes, we know that Jesus shows up in our lives in personal and profound ways where we experience life transformation, where we experience healing in our brokenness and fullness where there was emptiness, and we praise God for that. But we also know it doesn't end there. We now are called to go and to follow in the model of Christ ourselves so that we might share the love of Jesus with all that we encounter. Perhaps at this stage, after all that's happened with Peter and with Jesus and the disciples and the resurrection and now showing up unexpectedly and the miracle of the fish here, maybe all of this feels anticlimactic in what Jesus shares with Peter. Because as this dramatic, intense scene between Peter and Jesus comes to an end, between or after all of these exchanges they've had with one another, the very last thing that Jesus says to Peter is, follow me. Jesus does not introduce a new message here after his resurrection as he did before. He says what he's been saying over and over and over again all along. He repeats over and over, follow me, follow me, follow me. Jesus reminds us we do not need to come up with new and gimmicky ways of serving him. Just keep following one step at a time. Jesus knows that we human beings get so easily distracted so quickly. We so easily lose focus. I recently read that for people, when they try to, uh, to focus on more than one thing at a time, it reduces our productivity by as much as 40%. That's the cognitive equivalent of pulling an all-nighter. The average desk job loses about 2.1 hours a day through distractions and interruptions, in other words, through losing focus. I also read that the average attention span for folks in 2022, get this, is only 8.25 seconds. Not minutes, seconds. That's not very much time. A 2010 Harvard study showed that the average person's mind wanders about 47% of the time. Now on the surface, that might sound disconcerting and even a little bit hopeless. How does anyone, I might think, in my case, how does anyone ever hear anything then in a sermon that's longer than eight seconds, which they all are, by the way? But somehow, some way, we trust that through the Holy Spirit, at the right times, God breaks through our distractions, God breaks through our lack of focus, and brings into focus that which we need. One need not remember all the words spoken in a sermon. But if we can carry even one small, significant eight-second chunk away, that can be enough. Jesus doesn't even need eight seconds with Peter today. He just says simply to end his time with Peter, follow me. That's a second, if that. As we look to the future, that's what we want to do as well. We want to follow, follow, follow. And we want to do it over and over and over again. 
because it's so easy to take our eyes off of Christ, to focus on other things. It's one of the reasons that we, at times, put some of the same things before you. The importance of worship, the regularity of prayer, the significance of scriptural engagement, the power of service in community, engaging in our disciples' journey. There's a reason for the repetition. There's power in the following of Jesus. I loved an article that I found back in July of 2022. It was entitled, A River Cuts Through a Rock, Not Because of Its Power, But Its Persistence. It could have just as easily read, A River Cuts Through a Rock, Not Because of Its Power, But Its Repetition. Almost 30 times in just the Gospels, we hear the phrase, follow me, repeated over and over and over. It's not an accident on the part of Jesus. And so as we look to the future, this is what we want to do, one step at a time, over and over, trusting the Lord will move in powerful ways that we seek to follow him. Today, as we talk about moving into the future, I hope there are some elements that are starting to sound familiar to us. When we talk about Jesus showing up no matter what, when we talk about Jesus seeing all of us, no matter where we are, no matter what failures might be gone, no matter what successes might be going on, again, to absolutely everyone, I hope that reminds us a little bit of beautiful diversity, which is a core part of who we are because God's love is for everyone. God sees everyone. And we talk about the church being a place where the real presence of Jesus makes a powerful difference in the lives of individuals. I hope that reminds us that when we surrender to Christ and his love, that we experience a humble power far beyond ourselves. And I hope that when we talk about being God's church, as we seek to diligently follow Jesus one step after another, that it reminds us of rugged discipleship, not always flashy, but significant. And so as we move from today into tomorrow, we want to continue to be this church where we experience and share the love of Jesus Christ in a way that results in transformed lives, a gathered and sent expression of church that happens through rugged discipleship, beautiful diversity, and humble power. One day, Peter, the apparent failure, who is about to give up, becomes the preacher who offers a sermon in which 3,000 people choose to follow Jesus Christ and the birth of the church occurs. Transformation. And the good news is that Jesus does not just leave us be. As we move into the future, we expect to be a church where the risen Christ comes to us, sees us, appears to us, and then calls us and assigns God's holy work to us as he says to us, feed my sheep, follow me. To conclude our time today, I'm going to read a part of this scripture one final time. We've already looked at what happened between Jesus and Peter. But I'm going to ask you to join me in a responsive way here this morning. And I'm going to read, uh, well, we're going to put words before you. I'm going to read the words marked as pastor. And again, this is a summary of the scripture we've gone through today. But I'm going to ask you today, wherever you are in your living room or where your car or wherever you might happen to be listening to this and with whoever you are with, on the parts that are for the congregation, you, 
I invite you to share the words out loud, but if not out loud, at least offer them truly in your heart as a response to God, to be a people committed to following Jesus, a people committed to feeding God's sheep. Because God's calling is for all of us. That calling might look different on the surface, but God's calling is common to us all. And so let us receive these words and offer them as a prayer in response with one another before God, through God's Holy Spirit this day. Jesus said to the people, First Church of Williamsport, do you love me more than these? And I invite you in your heart to respond, yes, Lord, you know that we love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, First Church of Williamsport, do you love me? I invite you to respond, yes, Lord, you know that we love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, first church, first church of Williamsport, do you love me? And may we respond, Lord, you know all things. You know that we love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Follow me, follow me, follow me. As we seek to be God's church moving from today into tomorrow, may it be so. Thanks be to God. As we get ready to go forth this day, let us go in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, being a church as we move from today into tomorrow, absolutely committed and focused upon feeding the sheep of Jesus, helping others know and connect in the transforming love of Jesus, that God's church might reign not just today, but into tomorrow and for all time. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen.